listening to the Travelling Music Therapist podcast. In this podcast, I have a chat to people all around the place about music, health and other things that I find interesting. In today's episode, I have a chat to Tanya Silvera from Sydney and we just ended up talking for such a long time that I've split this up into two parts. So this is part one of my chat with Tanya. back to the Travelling Music Therapist podcast. Usually on my podcast I like to go and travel and meet people but today I'm having a chat online to my friend Tanya Silvera from Sydney. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me Yuki. Welcome into my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome into mine. I know, how can we be in two places at once? This is amazing. I know, right? So this podcast is happening online. And we're in different time zones too, aren't we? Are we? Oh no, we're not. You're in Sydney. <laughs> Okay, so Tanya is in Sydney and I am in Melbourne. I feel like we have to scratch that. Do you know, I enjoy this. I'm going to keep this in. Um, Oh, goodness me. Well, we are in different cities. Mm -hmm. Um, Same time zone. However, things have changed quite drastically. How have you been going with... um, you know, being more isolated and working from home. and Yeah, I think, I think I'm going okay at the moment. Like at, when it all kind of started, it felt pretty challenging um, just to not even stay on top of work and stuff, but just to stay afloat as a human being. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess now that some of the restrictions are lifting a little bit, um, it's been nice to just see family and that kind of stuff, which has made a difference. How are you going? Um, well, <laughs> do you know what? It's been quite nice, um, especially with my work. I do home visits mainly, and that means I carry around my keyboard and my guitar and my suitcase of instruments. And now I've just had this really nice setup at home where I don't have to go anywhere <laughs> in my car and carry things. So <laughs> that's been quite nice. But um, in terms of, you know, social distancing, it's been um, obviously hard not being able to see family and friends as much as we used to be able to. So it was a big adjustment. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of peaceful to start. Actually, do you know what? When it all started um, happening, I got really sick with the flu. No, oh, no. And so it wasn't COVID-19. I, I got tested. I'm very close to the hospital that's been doing these screenings. And um, I, the, the process was really, really quick. I went in, did the swab, I walked through, um, dropped off the swab at the nurse at the end, and then I got my test results in like the next 12 hours or something. It was so super quick. Yeah, so initially I got really sick for two weeks, and I actually lost my voice. I've never gotten that sick that my throat has been so affected. And that was really hard, you know, not being able to talk, you know, even to myself (laughs) for two days. That was really tough. So I think that's where I started. And then from there, you know, I felt better. I was isolated, you know, I had to stay isolated, but I was isolated for two weeks anyway. But now I could actually sing and, you know, play some music for enjoyment. Wow, great start. I think it's kind of been going up since then. <laughs> you can only go uphill from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but most of my work has um, been on online now and it's transitioned much mm. more smoothly um, than I initially thought. Yeah. How has your work changed since moving to telehealth? First of all, sure. what area do you work in? 
Um, so at the moment I work in stroke rehabilitation, so mainly, mainly with adults and that's what my research is based in. Um, I also um, work in a paediatric hospital and I work in the neuro rehabilitation unit as well as the adolescent mental health unit. And I do a bit of work in the community as well, so working with people of varied ages um, who have special needs. Yeah, so everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> quite quite a mix, I think, like um, most music therapists, actually. I always thought that I'd find my niche, and I think for a time I did find my niche, and I just worked in a specific area, which was uh, neurorehabilitation. But I really, really enjoy working across different areas because I feel like I learn a lot from those different areas and they all kind of influence my work in in all of them actually and I think it yeah it gives you more of a holistic approach uh, clinically. Yeah that's very true I'm the same I I thought I was going to settle into a niche but that doesn't often happen especially <laughs> if um, you know I'm working part, partly through private practice and um, partly through mm -hmm. um, another company most of our clients at the moment are autism spectrum disorder, but I can get anywhere from, you know, mental health based clients to stroke mm -hmm. ABI. So we have to be quite flexible. Mm -hmm. We adapt quite well with music therapists, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So how much of your work then has transitioned to telehealth? Obviously you're still going to a hospital yeah. um, to see clients face to face, but your other work? Yeah. So interestingly, even, even with the hospital, you know, we had to, as a team, kind of discuss ways to ensure that we're keeping ourselves and others safe. So we actually made some transitions within the hospital environment itself. So we um, connected in with some of the other um, services and access the TV streaming network and, and deliver have been delivering bi-weekly music therapy inspired programs to access uh, to give access to all the kids so they can like watch it on their screens and call up like in real time, which has been really cool. And then also, of course, seeing um, kids face to face. But that's one day of my week and um, the rest of my um, clinical work is all online. So that's, you know, working with adult stroke survivors who, you know, aren't able to um, expressively communicate. So that was a really interesting um, setup, getting um, carers and partners involved, as well as children with special needs, physical, speech, cognitive. And yeah, it's it's been interesting. So I'd say percentage-wise, because Yuki, you know I'm a numbers person, <laughs> I'd say um, probably like, yeah, a solid 85% of my yeah. work is online now. Yeah, yeah, same. I think I've gone mm -hmm. from about maybe 70, 80% of my clients have continued online. You know, I've got the few clients who mm -hmm. want to wait until we can see each other face to face, which is definitely understandable. And obviously mm -hmm. telehealth isn't going to be um, appropriate for all mm -hmm. clients. But I, I feel like I've been um, pleasantly surprised with how well telehealth sessions have been going. I really thought I was going to struggle, especially with kids who have trouble with maintaining attention or yeah. you know, trouble with communication skills. Yeah, I um, I was a bit um, nervous, I think, as anybody would be, because every client that you work with is so different. And um, I think the, the clients of mine that have really surprised me were my little ones who were, you know, be between the ages of one and four, who have vision impairment, hearing impairment, um, difficulties with moving and mobilizing 
And I thought that this would be quite challenging to work with them online because of their hearing impairment and because of their combined vision impairments. But um, working with the families, like the parents, we've really problem solved how to address these things together, whether it be having, you know, shorter sessions, but more frequent sessions, for example, or um, putting me up on a on their TV screen, which I find is quite funny because I'm quite small <laughs> in real <Yeah>. life. <laughs> and they've sent me pictures of myself on their TV screen, which is like a cinema. And it's just quite funny, but that, you know, that's helped um, in those initial stages. Yeah. And then even the kids that I work with who have, um, who are on the autism spectrum, um, you know, just using interesting features like screen sharing and finding pictures together and making up songs about the pictures you, you find together, you know, it's, it's, it's been great in helping keep them centered. So yeah, I've also been pleasantly surprised. Mm. Um, actually at the moment, I don't have any clients who are vision impaired or have severe hearing impairments. What do your sessions look like then on telehealth? I guess I've been coming back to my voice a lot um, and thinking a lot about how music inspires how we use our voice and how we use our tone and and all of that stuff rather than making it even more complicated with um, instruments as well. So, you know, if I was face-to-face as well, I'd be very conscious of the way I use my voice and I'd use the guitar in a very Mm -hmm. um, particular way, especially if a child has a cochlear implant um, because their range of hearing is a lot smaller or less diverse than neurotypical people. So coming back to the concepts of rhythm, kind of like percussive singing and that kind of things. Um, So on telehealth, I, I suppose I try to um, think about that as well. Um, but I'm probably coming back to my voice more than any instruments. And if I'm going to instruments, I'm more than likely using a single line instrument like my flute. So I've actually been using just because I'm at my computer and this instrument just sits there. I've actually been using my beautiful pink um, Indian flute which oh. I bought, bought in Mumbai years ago. And I thought, I've never actually taken that into a session, yeah. but it's got a really interesting um, timbre compared to the normal C flute. So yeah. it's been interesting working with those two kind of timbres in the online forum and also the colour because mm-hmm. it's pink. So yeah. visually the kids kind of look to it. So, yeah, I've, I've been oh, cool. mixing it up a bit, I suppose, using yeah. a lot of my old soft toys yeah. <laughs> from like eons ago. Yeah. <laughs> Is um the Indian mm-hmm. the pink Indian flute? Are the mechanics of it like the Western flute? Or is um, it it's a bit different. So I'm actually showing you, yeah. but I just realised no one else can no see. No one else can see. So um, <laughs> yeah, so there are seven holes mm-hmm. in the flute. It kind of you hold it to the side as you would with a C flute, mm-hmm. like a Western flute. Um, yeah, and it's just tuned to a certain scale. Mm. Um, and yeah, there are only. You kind of only have six key holes and one hole where you blow into. Yep. I'm going to give it a little whirl. Yeah. Okay, see what happens. So that's just the low octave, but of oh. course you can overblow and play higher. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, yeah. the timbre is really nice. It's that really woody kind of sound. Yeah. So I feel like that translates quite nicely, yeah, through the internet because it's not live, so it kind of isn't as sharp. Yeah. 
then they're safely. So yeah, especially with kids with ASD, they can be quite sensitive to sound. Mm. But that's a really nice mellow sound. I didn't realize we we're going to get a demo today. Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> Maybe I should get my. I know I need to get my guests to do that more often. Maybe just ask them to share a song. <laughs> I, sh- I should also mention that the other thing that sits on my table here, my little work table at home, is that pink flute, but also like a Harry Potter wand <laughs> that I got from Edinburgh. So that hasn't. I haven't had any use for that yet. Yeah, yet. That's okay. <laughs> so I'm sure. We'll I mean, there's one. still time. Yeah, there's still there's time. Still time. <laughs> But having said that, though, I feel like telehealth isn't going anywhere anytime soon because with a lot of my clients now, they're finding telehealth to be really helpful, especially with kids who have trouble usually with um, maintaining eye contact mm. or, um, you know, listening body, you know, facing towards the person that they're talking to. But they're kind of um, not forced to, but, you know, it's just more motivating mm. to face where the sound's coming from. Do you think you'll be mm. continuing with telehealth after, you know, maybe all these restrictions uh, let go? Yeah, I like it's just been a really interesting process transitioning to telehealth and, um, you know, working with such a range of clients. I've, I've just learned so much from all of them in the process. And there are quite a few clients who will most probably um, be continuing telehealth sessions once we are back into the full swing of normal life. So um, those, when I think about it, actually, those particular clients are on the autism spectrum. Um, One of them is quite young and one of them is, you know, in their 20s. And it's, yeah, it's in speaking to their parents or their carers, it's just so interesting to see their level of engagement and how much we're kind of getting through in therapy in a shorter burst, but over you know, instead of doing a one hour session every fortnight, we're doing half hour sessions every week, but how much we're kind of um, getting through and how much we're addressing in one session um, on telehealth. It's, it's, it's really interesting. But when I think about it as well, because I, I don't think of myself as a very structured therapist. I like to kind of be person led and, you know, it's a person centered process. And what I found really hard with telehealth is that I've had to be more structured and I'd, I've had to have a lot of things like up my sleeve, mm-hmm. ready to go, including like specific songs, which I I just don't generally work in that way face to face. You know, you've kind of got your, your toolkit there, but, you know, I've had to go back to kind of session planning a bit more. Um, and it, it kind of makes sense working with different people in why that will work best for them. But I know there are also a lot of people who are just waiting for the day for me to say, okay, we're back to face to face. So yeah, yeah. it's been a good learning experience for sure. As a, a practitioner, you know, I think for the parents as well, now that they're not that they're not usually present in the sessions, mm. but now I feel mm. like they're taking a lot more yeah. in, in how they can be supporting their child at home. Even if they come to our sessions and they can communicate and socialize really well with us the goal for the therapy is so that these skills can be transitioned into home life into school life so I feel like it's it has been really valuable that they're getting the therapies at home in a really comfortable environment and their parents are seeing you know what what they need to do to support them so important also on the topic of telehealth Mm -hmm. your brother Ives yeah (laughs) did 
a great little webinar for us. Um, so he is a physiotherapist, also yeah. based in Sydney. Yeah, my sister's also a physiotherapist too. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there are two of them. Yeah, two physios <laughs> in the family. Um, and I'm the odd one out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he did a joint uh, webinar with you, which I found really helpful um, around setting up your telehealth space ergonomically. I've taken a lot of tips from him. Like he mentioned, um, trying to sit back in your chair um, when you're doing your sessions just to lessen the, the stress on your lower yeah, back. Yeah. And that was so big for me because I didn't realize how forward on my chair I was sitting because I'm really just trying to like express through a screen. When I thought about, oh no, I just need to like mm -hmm. sit back and relax. Like my back problems went. They wow. were gone. They were non-existent. Now. That's amazing. Like, oh, I need to tell Tanya and I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's been a sense, you know, since telehealth, like I have struggled a little bit with back problems. How have you been going physically? Yeah. So, I mean, luckily there are two physios in the family, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, I've had to be really conscious of it. And, and I guess that's what um, motivated me to, to do that webinar, um, which I've so kindly volunteered his time to be part of, um, because even though I feel like I'm I'm pretty good with maintaining my my body in terms of my physical posture and that kind of stuff because of my PhD, you know I'm always at a computer. You just become complacent after you do it for a while, and then you just kind of forget, and then all these kind of things start happening. So it was really, yeah, since I think since doing that webinar as well, um, because it was very like Q&A kind of style, I was even more conscious of my movement and, mm -hmm. you know, getting up and taking breaks, even if they were like 30 seconds to do a couple of stretches. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see in, in our little conference call now that I've got my yoga mat and yeah. Zafu set up behind me so yeah. I can do some quick little stretches. Um, you know, every hour or something. Yeah. Um, but also I've gotten back into running. So I used to do a lot of running and I find that that really helps my back as mm -hmm. well, kind of with my posture and my strengthening. And yeah, yeah so it's been, even though it's been getting cold, yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to keep keep all that exercise going because it's so important when starting, mm. yeah, when starting telehealth, I, I think I just, kept like naturally hunching mm -hmm. um whilst playing the guitar in front of the screen and then not knowing how close or far to be from it and yeah. oh everything else that came with it so yeah 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 we're not used to this setup and initially when I first started telehealth I thought oh yeah I could do back-to-back -back clients it's fine I'm not traveling anywhere you know like I was talking about the pros of not having to go anywhere so I don't have to carry things I probably won't be as tired but even if you do like two clients back to back, it takes it out of you. It's so exhausting to sit in one spot. I never knew because I'm always so active. Yeah, I've, I find I have been finding it more exhausting in some regard because um, so when I've been booking my sort of back to back clients, um, I have a 15 minute window between every single client, even if they even if it's a half an hour session. Um, just to get up and move and just kind of change my frame of mind for a second because, as I said before, I feel like I have to have more of a structured sort of almost behavioural approach to working in telehealth that 
I feel like I'm working harder, to be honest. (laughs) Um, I don't know if anybody else feels like that, but I feel like I'm working even harder on telehealth and face-to-face. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, like that. It's a combination of exerting more energy at a screen just to, to maintain people's attention. But then also it's just the fact that you're in front of a screen all yeah. day. Yeah. I bought myself some blue light glasses to see if ah, that would help. Ah, nice. Um, not that I was having like really bad headaches or anything. I just wanted to see if oh, it really? would change anything. But um, I haven't noticed anything yet. <laughs> but it's supposed to be better for you. I don't know. I've been wearing <laughs> – um, I have to wear glasses – I have to wear glasses at the screen like I've had to for a couple of years now and Mm -hmm. when we just transitioned to telehealth I was a bit reluctant to wear my glasses at the screen because none of my clients have seen me in glasses and I wasn't so worried about it's such a little thing and you know I wasn't so worried about the older clients but my my really little ones I was a bit I wasn't sure whether I should wear them or not anyway I did my first kind of couple of hours of telehealth at the screen without my glasses and I had the biggest headache after that I just had to yeah now I just have to and I think the first time I did it we did like a little song about Tanya wearing her glasses and now it's just fine (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we transitioned transitioned the glasses into the telehealth sessions yeah I know (laughs) so I've just been wearing them for when I'm writing notes or reports and things like that because I've noticed that if I Mm. wear them and at a certain time of day the reflection is really distracting in the camera because it just looks like it reflects back my screen exactly. So it just looks (laughs) like I've got like squares in my eyes. So funny. And then you've got to move around just to kind of avoid the reflection. And so you're like, you know, bopping to the side and up and down. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Too funny. Right, I know yeah. we've chatted a lot about telehealth, but mainly because that's just so so relevant mm. to us right now. And I feel like our, you know, um, allied health practice was kind of going in the direction of telehealth anyway. Um, I know yeah. that um, we were already considering out work pre-COVID um, for clients, for rural clients, you know, so we might mm-hmm. travel out for an initial session um, an assessment and then to have ongoing sessions online. So we were already um, looking at um, having clients online, but I feel like it's just really sped up the process into moving everything mm. online, you know, not just health, but... Um, it has. Yeah, like with... Um, so I have a hobby, which is salsa <laughs> dancing. Oh, which amazing. I think I've actually talked about it on this podcast before, which um, it's kind of been a, an obsession of mine over this past year and a half so but now all the you know amazing dancers and teachers from all over the world have like these online syllabuses now so it's just like there's an endless supply of things to learn now have you been doing much separate to work like extracurricular learning (laughs) well yeah like I mean I guess I don't I don't know if it's learning I mean it's a way of life as cheesy as that may sound but I love my yoga and um, I have a really amazing yoga teacher and she's got a home studio and so what we've been doing is yoga online so she still has her you know her yoga sessions and she does them in real time and I just do them at home and it's just been you know I've I've desperately needed it um, every week and it's just been so nice to kind of keep that up but you know, besides that, I guess we've done the kind of social things with my friends, you know, 
Zoom catch-ups yeah. and drinks, like with, with one of my groups of friends um, a while ago, we did like a little catch-up and then we decided to like learn a dance. So we put on, I shared my screen and my audio. Was it a TikTok dance? It wasn't a TikTok dance. <laughs> They're too, those are too hard for me. Um, no, but it was just one of those like um, dance like Beyonce. And it was just this video of someone dancing. And so we had all of our screens up and we're watching each other and just trying to follow the video. And it was just... Yeah so strange but so fun like it was yeah it was so much fun and you know we felt like we were all together had a good little endorphin release and then <laughs> had a cup of tea after it was lovely the online um catch-up sessions have been quite fun actually <laughs> um at our work as well we have like a friday afternoon catch-ups where we all grab a glass of something and nice. um, catch up online i feel like um because no one's been able to go anywhere there's been a a big emphasis on, you know, maintaining mental health and social connections. I feel like prior to this all happening, mm. social media and online presence kind of had a bad name for having people become very recluse. And I think it's just kind of done a 180, like, you know, um, on our attitudes on how yeah. we can use it positively because it's definitely yeah. such a positive thing. Like if there was ever a time in history for yeah. us to have a pandemic, this kind of thing, we're pretty blessed that we have the technology that we can actually socially interact and continue working Yeah, through all of yeah, this. Yeah, definitely. Got to look at the positives. Yeah. And, you just, <laughs> and you just hope that, you know, once, you know, things kind of change and go back to whatever our old ways were, you know, I, I hope people think of it as a new normal where we use all of, mm-hmm. you know, these experiences and kind of move forward in our lives with that you know, extra element of gratitude and um, mindfulness in our actions and our words and our, you know, pacing in everyday life. Like, you know, it's amazing how much people have been cooking as well. I I went yeah. to the shops to get some yeast the other day just randomly to make a pizza base and there was no yeast left and I was, yeah. it was so weird because everyone's <laughs> making bread and that's beautiful. Yeah. I think, you know, it was just it was just really random. So it's um... so true, isn't it? Everyone <laughs> is making bread. You know, I didn't get yeah. to the um, baking stage of of um, of isolation until like last week. <laughs> I think you know everyone goes through it though. I made brownies last week. Oh, amazing, um, amazing. They they were yummy. So I think I need to, but I haven't made bread yet. No, neither. It's a trend. I just I just wanted pizza. <laughs> A pizza base, mm. but yeah. Anyway, we found some in the end. Oh, but good. It was just, it was just so interesting how we've kind of moved back to the time when you know when I think about my grandparents and I think about their youthfulness. This is these are the kind of stories that you know they tell me about, like you know cooking and mm-hmm. sewing and doing puzzles and like making music together. And it's it's kind of yeah, like as you said, we've kind of done a flip, and it's really. It's quite beautiful that people have connected in that way, I think. And I hope it kind of stays like that to an extent, in a way, Mm. like our connection with ourselves and each other and, yeah. Yeah, I know. I hope so. A few of my friends have had Mm. to postpone their wedding because of all of this happening. I was supposed to go back home to Perth for this. Yeah. But, you know, having a travel ban, just like something simple, like you can't go to another state. It feels so strange, mm. you know, we've never had to deal with this kind of thing before. Yeah. It's helped me realise how it must feel for, you know, some no. of our clients who 
because of their immune system have to be in isolation all the time. And um, I mean, I'm sure you'd see so many clients um, at mm. hospital who are in a similar kind of situation, but you know, not to do with anything COVID related. Yeah. yeah it makes you understand, you know, to an extent mm-hmm. how, how their lives must be. And so I remember this yeah. one client, um, yeah. It just like it brought back a lot of memories from when I did um, a placement in hospital, and there were these kids. Um, it was pediatrics um, mm. oncology, and there was this child who was in isolation, which meant um, people could only go in if they wore the full um, like PPA gown, yeah. gloves, and everything. But he mm-hmm. would just look forward to us coming in to play music for him for you know like half an hour, you know every two three days. So much. I think, you know, working at a hospital, you might not get desensitized, but you might get used to those kinds of situations. Do you still feel emotional when you see those kinds of children? Of course. I mean, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, one of um, this little girl I've been working with since November um, got discharged and it was this incredible journey that she'd been on um, you know without giving too much information she was neurotypical and then she had quite a horrible um, episode and um, she yeah was unable to speak she lost movement and it it was this neurological condition that there was of course never a quick fix and I spent a lot of time working with her like she was my priority every time I was in really Um, and you know we looked at lots of different areas whether it's just to make her smile and loosen the grip of her hand so she relaxes so she can do rehab or just you know be there in that moment and connect with her brother um we'd we'd make songs and then send them to her brother when he couldn't come in and visit and a couple of weeks ago you know we found out she got the all clear to go home and get discharged and it was such a beautiful um it was such a beautiful result that she could go home but when I said my last goodbye to her mum, her mum burst out crying and I left the room in tears because I loved working with her. You know, she meant, uh, you know, I've, I've been working with her for over six months every single week. And um, even, you know, leaving some of those sessions when she had her harder days, mm-hmm. um, you know, they stayed with me. And, you know, of course, I have clinical supervision, so I can I can unpack that a bit more. But yeah it it was you know I, I always I don't think I've ever been desensitized I kind of feel like the day that I kind of become desensitized to you know the work is probably the day I yeah. retire um you know it's not not like I'm crying in mm-hmm. sessions or anything it's more just the sessions having an impact mm-hmm. on me um afterwards you know because that's what I want to do and that's kind of my yeah. purpose. To yeah, be yeah, there. absolutely. And, yeah. and it's important to unpack yeah. those emotions as well. Like I definitely, <laughs> I regularly get emotional <laughs> with my work. Um, you know, obviously I, I don't burst out crying either. <laughs> there's been a few times where I've actually had to hold back tears though because Same. something's been, you know, something's made me so happy or, you know, yeah. and it's usually through like happiness, like Same. through joy. Yeah. And like last week, I have this client who we've been doing um, some songwriting together for maybe about a year and a half. And the other day, we just sang through all of her songs that she's written in in the past, wow. you know, however long that we've been working together. And it took up like a full half hour. 
And wow. it, it was just like, because attached to those songs and the lyrics, you know, they, there's so much, so many memories that she wanted to write mm. about, first of all, but then, you know, the actual process and thinking how far they've come. It yeah. just made me so emotional. Yeah, I've been there. I love yeah. our work. Me too. I just and love the work that we do. I can't talk about it enough. That's why I have a podcast. <laughs> I love it. But I think as well with like getting with getting teary and stuff. I've had some really interesting conversations mm. with music therapists and non-music therapists and people who work kind of like on a ground level clinically and people who work in management about crying and and I think or getting teary. And I think sometimes um or in the past it's been identified as this kind of negative thing I, I remember once in um many years ago after a session I cried and I felt a lot better after the session it was a very heavy session it was a very heavy session and I had a co-therapist so we could debrief mm-hmm. but I cried after the session and I felt so much better after the session after I cried because it for me it was like this physical release you know sometimes people are like you go for a run when you're feeling anxious or angry or whatever and then you feel you feel a bit better because it's like this physical release and that's how I thought of crying but there were other people that I worked with who saw that as like you know Tanya's in trouble um and unpacking that with my clinical supervisor you know it was great that they validated the fact that it's actually a quite a normal response so if there's anyone out there who's listening who has you know cried after a session um you know as a as a way to cope I I think it's completely valid and I've experienced it myself I've even gone to classic Tanya gone to the literature to check if this is stuff (laughs) that people think about and you know um it's completely valid so yeah yeah yeah. definitely and I think um especially you know those tears of joy or you know even if you um even if it can can be you know through sadness too sometimes um when you build that uh, relationship with your client like I had a client pass away um about Oh, when mm. was when was that? Like last year, but I had been working with this client for like every week for maybe a year and a half. But it was like his the the last six months of his life. He was just really struggling through to get every day. He was really ill, um, and he was young too. He wasn't, um, you know, the classic palliative case where in their seventies, eighties. It was he was he had just turned thirty. And so we were very close in age too. So, you know, that was very emotional for me. And because for the family, like I, because I was there every single week and music was such a big part of his life and how he got enjoyment out of life, they were just so grateful. Um, And they, you know, had like a special mention at the funeral for me. And it was just like, it was too much. I couldn't stop crying at the funeral. It was just like, (laughs) yeah. I think I'm just a teary yeah, well, person. <laughs> but, um, so am I. Yeah, so am but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm strong. I keep it together most of the, most of the time. I used to think um, making somebody cry once a week was pretty normal. <laughs> but then I was thinking, like, yeah, there are not many yeah. other professions out there where you'd be okay with the fact that your client just cried, you know? Yeah. I think it, yeah, I think it totally depends on the nature of why they're having therapy and, um, you know, what the kind of therapeutic goals are. Like, for example, I would hate it if my goals were focused on physical rehab and my kids who I'm working with are yeah. crying because they're not yeah. enjoying the that. But whereas, we're, you know, if we're doing songwriting and it's an emotional release, that's, you know, something else. But, but now just reflecting with you, 
it's it's the parents or the carers that I see cry more than the clients. The people that I work with um, have neurological conditions and um, they're, they're quite severe as well. So for a lot of the people I work with, be it um, in with adult populations or in paediatrics, a, a lot of these people were neurotypical before an incident happened, you know, in the brain. And I think when when people engage in music therapy, they just, because music's processed in both parts of the brain, all of a sudden they can do, it's, it feels like all of a sudden they can do more than what people thought they could do. Um, and we can explain that like scientifically, but also you don't need to explain it scientifically because it has such a beautiful emotive side to it. So these family members just see this important person in their life kind of coming back through and yeah i think for me like that's that's huge and seeing them get emotional about that makes me feel emotional like i was just i was just thinking and telling you that i hadn't thought about um this child in quite a while but um i was working with a little girl who had a stroke and she was laying in the bed and she was in quite a lot of pain and um her mum um, looked really tired and really we, we just needed the child to kind of relax and just try and fall asleep just because she was at you know whatever nth degree of pain medication she couldn't take anymore so um, I just started singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to her in a very you know soft way to match her breathing as any music therapist would and she started to kind of drift off um, opening and closing her eyes and she was really relaxed and I looked at her mum and her mum was in tears. And my biggest mistake that session was looking at her mum because I had to finish singing that song and get this child to sleep. And then I could feel tears rolling down. I, I wasn't quivering, but I could feel tears rolling down my my cheeks. And I just thought, no, 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 she's almost asleep. Tanya, just, just keep playing. Just, just keep holding the space and just pretend that her mum isn't there and no one's crying no one's crying just keep playing and you know for me it's yeah the carers and the family members and the parents that I notice more of that kind of emotional side with my work yeah yeah, yeah. definitely so many parents um you know either through just getting emotional you know watching their children achieve things like you know being able to mm. sing something or being able to move a certain way yeah and you know it does make you realize how much of an impact you're making on their lives mm. you know not just the client but like the family and because mm. um when you were talking about that it just reminded me of this client too that i, I, I was working with maybe close to two years ago but he um, yeah, so he was typically developing and then he had um, an incident where um, he had a series of strokes just randomly when he was mm. like 11 or so and that was pretty tragic. He ended up with, you know, all sorts of um, issues with mobility and also um, vision and some speech impairment and um, he was in a coma for a long time before um, he came out. But his mum was telling me mm. that he loves Taylor Swift because um, that was the Shake It Off was his song that he woke up to, you know, from his coma. And so that's the song that they 
helped retrain. They sang it every day, you know, multiple times a day because it was his favorite song mm. to retrain his speech. Wow. Oh, so many emotional stories with this one. But he, um, <laughs> there was this one session where he wanted to sing Perfect by mm. Ed Sheeran. And there's a lyric mm. in there that goes, Dancing in the dark with you between my arms, barefoot on the grass. Um, yeah, listening to our mm-hmm. favorite song. So I think he was talking about that part, but I I just happened to ask him in that session. I was like, why did you choose this song today? Um, you know, why is this song special to you? And he goes, oh, it reminds me of when I used to dance with my mom. Oh, Yuki. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> keep it in, keep it in. <laughs> and I'm just oh like, I, yeah, I just had to like, taking a deep breath and just hold it for like five seconds before I was like, that is so beautiful. <laughs> but, um, and his mum, of course, she was bawling her eyes out. Oh my out. God. Even just listening to you. <laughs> right. And, wow. oh, there's just like so many powerful moments and, you know, he just kind of said it like, you know, kind of matter of fact, mm. but yeah, it's, um, it's just the power yeah. of music too, you know, like even if, you know, you're not the one writing the lyrics. Yeah. They can really resonate so, so much with what you're going through. Yeah. Um, we've, <laughs> we've talked a lot about crying and telling Yeah, I know, today. we have. I love, that. <laughs> I love I love where this conversation is going. This is why I love talking to you, Yuki. <laughs> so that was part one of my chat with Tanya. I will be uploading part two as well very, very soon. Um, so make sure you tune into that. We talk a lot more about her research that she's been doing as part of her PhD. And it is so interesting. I absolutely love the work that she's doing. As usual, you'll be able to find me on Instagram and Twitter, The Traveling Music Therapist. Thanks for listening.